Moto America fans, it's time for another episode of Off Track with Carruthers and Bice. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you may even learn something from this unlikely pair and their special guest. The mic is yours, Paul and Sean. Hello, Moto America fans. This is Paul Carruthers. I'm one of two hosts of Off Track with Carruthers and Bice. As I said, I'm the Carruthers part. I've got the Bice part with me um, on the phone, on Zoom actually, from Ohio. We talked last week, as we do every week. I don't know what up, what number we're even up to anymore, Sean. I think it's 207 or 6 or something like that. But we've done a hell of a lot of these podcasts, and it's always enjoyable. And it's kind of what actually I was just talking to our guest here a second ago, and uh, that's Max Flinders, one of our superbike racers. And uh, we were just talking about, uh, he, he was asking me if, if I'd come down yet from the, the end of the season uh, racing action. And it's funny because it, it was like when I left Barber and got home, I was like, oh, man, I'm done. I'm beat up. I'm just tired of it. And, um, and <laughs> now I kind of miss it already. So it doesn't, it doesn't take long. You know, once you've got that motorcycle racing bug, it's, uh, it's impossible to get rid of. And I'm sure that's what that's what our guest will tell us here pretty soon. But uh, how's things with you, Sean? Yeah, good. I'm feeling the same way. I mean, yeah, we had that little bit of time off and it takes a couple of days to recover from what we do. I mean, it's obviously a labor of love, but, you know, we work long hours on those weekends starting on Thursday through basically late Sunday night. And um, you get home and it, I, you and I have identified the fact that it feels like it's jet lag, but it's really not. Um, it's something else. It's, it's lag fatigue or whatever, but yeah. After and old age. Week, yeah. I think that's <laughs> part of it too. Although our, uh, our 20 something uh, guys on our team also seem to be out of it a little bit for a couple of days too. So I was just going to say that I, I don't <laughs> think it's age when, when I see what it does to those kids, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, but no, and it's, it's amazing. I mean, the season goes quick. Uh, and then when it's over, it's like, yeah, and it won't be long. I mean, we'll be back around. Uh, I know we're on the verge of announcing our season next year. I'm not going to say anything about it, but obviously some things will be similar to last year, including the way that we began. So we'll be getting, a, be beginning a little bit early, um, this year. And, uh, uh, I'm great. I'm excited to have this guest on because you talked about, I think, yeah, we're up to 200 and some four five, six, seven, something like that. And I look back and realize, man, as much as present as this guy is in the paddock, we haven't had him on this podcast since I think the third one we've done, it's been like three years. So we lean on the guy so much for other things in the paddock. And whenever there's a holiday, it seems like somebody gets in touch with him and says, Hey, can you do some kind of a tribute type thing, but uh, I'm glad to have him on here because we can talk to him about this season and some other stuff. So it's good to, good that we're going to do it, going to do this today. Yeah. And then I had a neighbor was asking me too. It's funny because it kind of relates to what we were talking about, but he's like, Oh, it's your, it's your off season. I bet you just, it's probably easy and blah, blah, blah. But I honestly, I find the off season more difficult if that makes sense, because yeah. we, we, instead of just content falling in your lap all year, it's like we've got a, it, you, I mean, you got to strain to, you know, to come up with content on a daily basis from a series that's not racing, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely that way. I mean, trying to generate information out there and see what the guys are doing. And I mean, we've got obviously um, a lot of uh, team and rider uh, announcements for this coming year that we haven't come out yet or, or 
or you know that'll be that'll be coming but then there's definitely a time period where we have to have to generate a lot of stuff and right now it's the case there you know we for a while we don't really hear from some of the teams they just kind of sit back a little bit so well it's like nobody seems to do anything until you know until january which right. is, is kind of weird and then all of a sudden we're bombarded with stuff but uh yep. I guess and yeah. enjoy the the slower times while you've got them because right. it definitely gets to be opposite of that. But let's let's uh, let's chat with Max. Max has been. It's funny because I started looking at point standings and going back and 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 I'm going back and I'm going back and I'm like, damn, when did this guy start? And he <laughs> actually started in the beginning with us. It was yes, he did. It was Super Stock 1000, and then every year since then he's been Superbike, and. I don't know. He, he must be freaking 40 years old by now, but I know he's not. Right. <laughs> well, How old are you, Max? I'm tw- uh, turning 26 in November. Yeah, it's amazing. See, that, that's crazy to me that you're still that young. It right. Is. I'm, I mean, I was in the superbike class. I think I was the youngest superbike rider when I was uh, 18 or 19 or something like that. It was, right. it was pretty crazy. <laughs> I remember that very first test that we had at Coda too, Max. I remember I didn't really know you, although you did race some super sport, I'm pretty sure, um, prior to the Moto America era. But I remember at Coda seeing you and you were out there in every session. And I, I didn't know a lot about you then. But uh, yeah, you've been with us since the beginning. You're, in a, you're an OG, as they say. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> I think uh, I think uh, Nicole has the, the video. I, I think I completed the first ever lap under like Moto America. Like we were the first session out and it was raining and I, I was like, oh, I got to figure this out. So I went out and like, I did the first ever lap for Motor America. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I remember thinking, who's that idiot? <laughs> Dude, it, it was bad out there too. I, I probably shouldn't have done that, but you know, I was young and dumb. So. Yeah, well, we always need a guinea pig, right? Right, right. Exactly, exactly. Well, the thing that, that amazes me is Sean is the fact that this guy he comes in and he wants nothing to do with anything other than superbike so he goes to the premier he could have raced junior cup he could have raced I mean he could have raced in any of our classes because he yeah. was he was eligible to race in any of our classes but I got to give him credit because he wants to be a superbike racer and god darn it he's going to be a superbike racer and he basically always has which is it's pretty damn cool it's very cool <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's great. And I think some of it, I mean, Max, I've always known you to be fairly tall, although you've probably grown in the time you've been with us, but I think you were pretty tall to begin with. But isn't it true that you did a little bit of super sport racing in in, uh, AMA pro racing before we started? Yeah, um, I mean, the year before it turned to Motor America um, in AMA, I was doing uh, the 600 uh, super sport and uh, I was doing all right. I mean, I was competing. It was my first like year pro. It was like my first year on a 600. I was like, oh, this is awesome. I mean, I was doing pretty well. I mean, I remember one race in New Jersey, it was raining and I think I climbed all the way up to eighth and I was like uh, right behind, I think, Valentin de Beast. And I was like, oh, sweet. So I was doing pretty good. But um, after that year, my dad was just like, yo, uh, I don't have any more money. And I was like, oh, okay and he's like you need to either find a team or you need to go get a job and I was like okay let's see what I can do and then luckily then you know the team kind of fell in my lap and they were gonna go do the the Harley XR 1200 racing first but then uh, when Motor America came around they were like okay that's gonna be out now 
And we're like, oh, so what are we going to do? And then the team owner just wanted me out on an American bike. And the only American bike was the EBR. So he was like, all right, let's do the EBR and the uh, stock 1000s. And I was like, I wasn't even used to the 600 yet. I just got off of a Marawaki and now I'm getting on like a freaking 1198 EBR that was the most torquey thing I've ever ridden in my life. So <laughs> it was pretty crazy. <laughs> I didn't even remember you. So when you were at that test at Cody, you were on an EBR. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I did not know that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the EBR was the first one, but like the first race at Cody, I think the first race was in the rain and I was chasing down. I think it was Elena uh, Myers. She was doing excellent in the rain. I just caught her past her and I was running real good. And then I just went into, I think the fast back section and high sided to the moon and um you know how like the the fuel tank is in the frame on the ebr and the air box is the tank well the air box just absolutely uh, like obliterated it was in 20 million pieces and we were like oh that's not good so luckily an ebr dealership in what is it uh coda they uh gave me an air box and then the next day ebr shut down and like it went bankrupt so yeah and that that bike was yellow too right bright yellow yeah <laughs> yeah that's where yeah i didn't even know for four years after that that you weren't still on the buell right <laughs> <laughs> and 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 were you at that time already associated with with uh tim ivanhoe i always want to call him i always call him ivan timho in my head i don't know why <laughs> but uh tim sounds ivanhoe, like a pirate you, man yeah doesn't it well he looks like a pirate so what are you gonna do right? <laughs> but um were you associated with him way back then as well Actually, yeah, me, when I was racing with uh, USGPRU before AMA, and then when I came to AMA, I always knew Tim because we were both in Louisiana. So we went to a lot of the close racetracks together. And um, me and him actually took our race school together when I was 12, and he was a lot older. So it's <laughs> um, a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we actually met then. And then like, since we did the race school together, every time I saw him, I was just like, what's up? Hey, how are you doing? Da, da, da. And then we became like, like race friends almost. And then, uh, like I said, one year in AMA, they, uh, one of their hard, uh, XR 1200 riders couldn't compete. So they asked me if I ride, cause Tim knew me. He's like, Hey, this, team needs a rider and i was like yeah, yeah yeah for sure i think i did better than he did that whole season on my first time on a 1200 and i was like oh and then that's how i kind of got my job it was a good uh good interview for sure <laughs> and and also max tell people i don't remember if the last time and it's been so long we can repeat it anyway but i i don't <laughs> recall if we did or not mention but tell people i don't know if people really understand the origin of why your bike is yellow so tell that story it's an awesome <laughs> So yeah, Tim uh, works at a helicopter company in uh, Louisiana, and he, when he was racing, he every time he had his body work, he'd bring it in, and uh, they paint a lot of the helicopters yellow, and they're just like, hey, after you're done with that helicopter, can you spray some race body work? So they started uh, painting all the race body work yellow, and then Tim was, loved it. I mean, it's his favorite color now. Like, if you go to a store and there's something that's yellow, it's a good chance it's going to end up in the cart and like on the way to the door. So, um, yeah, man, it's just kind of stuck. They still kind of paint our stuff. Um, I've even started painting stuff yellow now and everything. I mean, 
it's it's cool and then also it's kind of just part of our team now you know it, it was kind of a cool story at first with the helicopter stuff and then now, now it's just like we're the bright happy team and everyone can see us on track because we're trying to stand out so it's uh just kind of the way it goes <laughs> well it definitely works because that bike we can see it no matter where you are <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> so i looked at these results um I think your best year, it's not really fair to say that that's your best year because everything's just gotten so, there's so many more fast guys now than there were back when you were finishing like 12th in the championship or 13th in the championship. What, what do you, when you look back at it, the year you just had, where, how does that rank? Because it was by far the most competitive season of superbike racing that we've had in Moto America. And as I just yeah. said, there's a ton of fast guys. So you can't really compare it to 2018 or even 2019. You got to compare it to now. Is do you, do you still feel like there's, I mean, it's obviously to me watching you on the track, you're improving and you're faster, but that not doesn't necessarily show in the point standings is my point. Yeah, yeah you no, know, Max, it's, I'm going to interrupt you for a minute. Sorry, I got to jump in just for a second. Paul, I'm going to I'm going to answer this partially for Max and I'm going <laughs> to see if I can predict this. Okay. I'm going to say that this was absolutely Max's best year ever because I think he went the fastest he's ever gone this year. Max, what say you? Yeah, actually you did you did kind of read my mind. I mean, yeah, I always kind of judge my times and everything from the previous years. This year I've been nearly a second or more faster than ever at every track. Um, I've been closer to Gagne than I've ever been. I mean, it's, it's definitely been my best year. It's just, like you said, it's so competitive. I mean, you had the Titlers team coming in and those guys brought the show. I mean, they brought in how many BMWs beautifully prepared fast as anything. They brought those in. We had uh, um, a lot of teams just come in. Hayden Gillum came in full time. And, you know, back when he was racing with uh, J.D. Beach, he's he's a excellent rider. He sticks his elbows out, leaves it all on the track. So when I saw it all lining up, I mean, this is the most super bikes we've ever had. I've been the fastest I've ever been. But, um, yeah, man, it's just it's just a really tight competitive class out there. I mean, this year I would gain, you know, 0.5 of a second and move up like four spots in 2018 if i gained 0.5 of a second i was sat exactly where i was before i gained the time so it's definitely way closer this year more competitive but then again the racing's just been really really good this year i've had an absolute blast well this year you've actually not that you haven't in past years but like you said there's more competitive guys there's a deeper field you probably find yourself in races more often than in other races. Am I right? I mean, as far as battling? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm either, I've been in constant battles. I've been with Corey Alexander a bit, uh, Travis Wyman. I've been battling with Brandon Posh. I mean, there's definitely all those people around you and like it pushes you even more. I mean, when you're on track and you're in a race and you've got like two seconds to the guy in front of you because he's flying and then the guys behind you are like a second back you're kind of in that no man's land and it's hard to push yourself there because you know like it the, you can't see the guy in front you've got no threat from behind you you start overthinking you start riding differently but when you're in a battle all you're thinking is how am I going to get by this guy am I faster than this guy he's better here I'm better there and like you start learning from them and then it becomes like this kind of chess game where 
you have to think of exactly what you're going to do. You have to set it up for the next three corners to pass them. And it's just, it makes you a better rider throughout. So it's definitely been a, a big learning year for me, for sure. Yeah. So Max, I want to ask you about something. And I, Paul knows this morning, I've got a little bit of a red ass today about something. I'm not <laughs> happy and I'm going to absolutely rip well, it. That's because the day ends in Y. <laughs> no, that's, that's true. no, I'm usually a pretty happy-go-lucky guy, but I'm pissed that's off. That's true. You are. You are. I'm pissed off because how the hell does somebody that works for Moto America put out some kind of news leak? Give okay, me a Sean. break. I'm just going to say it. But okay, Max, there was a news leak. I'm doing air quotes right now because we didn't know about this and we don't have a leaky Moto America. But anyway, I'm going to mention this to you. Have you seen the report? And supposedly there's going to be a two rider, two super bike uh, rule. You can have another bike this year. And I want to find out how it relates to you because, I mean, you fall down sometimes. I know it. And you guys do an amazing job rebuilding your bike. Are you going to take advantage of that? Will you have two bikes if the rule allows it? And do you think it's economical for you with your program? Um, tell us how you feel about that whole thing if it does come to pass. I mean, honestly, it's uh, it, it hurts us a little bit, but then it kind of helps us as well. I mean, like, since we are such a small team, if we do have a big issue where the bike is completely broke, can't ride it, and the race is in two hours, I'm not going to make that race. I don't have the people. I don't have the time. So, I mean, having another bike there just to hop on and be comfortable with, that will help me in certain ways. But then then again, I mean, my my A bike is a 2020 and my B bike's a 2015. So if I do end up getting on my 2015, I'm not going to be nearly as competitive because it doesn't quite have all the new things that the 2020 does. I mean, but I've seen it before where some riders come in. Like I've seen like when Tony Elias was on the Suzuki, they came in and their motor blew and like, they're like, there's no way we can ride this bike. And a couple of times, and it happened with me too, Motor America are like, okay, if you promise you're not going to get back on that bike, you're good to go on the, the other bike. And it happened to me in California too, where I blew a motor and like nothing, I couldn't switch anything over from the 15 to the 2020. And they let me go on my other bike uh, to go out and race. So, I mean, I don't think it will really change too, too much. But, I mean, the fact that these guys can, you know, go out on one bike and then come in, hop in another bike and go out again without having to waste any time and just get test after test after test after test on different setups, that will be a little bit unfair to me because we won't be able to do that at all. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. I know in the past when we've had this two bike rule, I mean, they would essentially like for a two rider team, they would bring four bikes out and, and have that other one ready. Um, would you have, would you have a situation like that? Or you would not, you would, you would not bring two bikes to the wall um, and have one ready as a backup and ride them back and forth in your sessions to kind of test them out. You would focus on that primary bike, but you, you'd have that one fully built and ready in case something disastrous happened. Is, is that how it would go? Yeah, exactly. It's just, it would be like the worst case scenario I have to get on the other bike. So in like, it, I mean, it's going to be kind of like MotoGP where if you crash now and your bike's bad, you're going to have to race back to the pits to get back onto another bike, but I won't have to race back because the other bike will still be in the truck. So, right. uh, 
that that's what I want to know, you know, and tell us, cause I don't know if this is giving anything away, Max, or if it's any, anything about, I mean, let's talk, it's the past season. So I don't know, but how did this actually work? Could you not have a fully built bike somewhere in the, in the truck, uh, in your trailer, but just not seen, or did you literally not, were you literally not able to have a second bike on the premises? No, you were definitely, you were allowed to have a second bike. Cause like, if you get into the situation where your bike is just no longer rideable and it won't be rideable for the rest of the weekend there, they do let you switch bikes every now and then, but you have to ask very, very nicely. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, no, we had another bike in the, uh, in our truck. It's allowed to be there, but it's not allowed to be out of the truck or be seen. Or if it is out of the truck, it has to be behind the truck with a cover over it. So you're not just like switching bikes every two seconds. So there was some rules about it. Like, so we just left it in the truck, but we kept ours mainly as like rolling spares. Like if I broke a handlebar, we just go take it off the other bike real quick or something like that. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing is, I don't know how it adds up. You, you are part of an integral part of your team and understand the financial side of it. I mean, if you have a bike plus a frame and spares, for another bike or another bike. I mean, is, is it any, is it any different? Is it different to have a fully constructed and built bike or is it kind of the same? It's a wash either way. I mean, it's, I, I like having the full build bike because, um, you know, like you can see what part you need off of it and you know exactly where it is on the other bike. If I have a bunch of parts and a bunch of boxes, me and my dad are going to fight a lot because we won't be able to find anything. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, then i mean our you've seen our truck it, it we got a bigger truck for sure but it's still nowhere near as organized as like those 18 wheelers where they have a drawer just for suspension and stuff so that's why we kind of keep the rolling spares but i mean it is kind of nice to have everything like separate and by itself because you can just grab it and go where we have to go to the bike take it off then run back to the other bike and put it back on but either way i mean if you if you're quick with your hands it's not really that big of a deal yeah, I mean, it would be a big benefit to you if you had a, a, another bike, just like your your A bike sitting there in the same year, same condition, et cetera. Oh, yeah. If that was the case, that'd be really, really nice. Then we could do double testing and do everything. But I know with our team and our budget, we won't be able to get another 20 or a new uh, motorcycle next year. So we'll, uh, yeah, it, we'd just be working with the one and just trying to make that the best we can for the weekend. Yeah, I think I the way I look at it, I, I think it's a good thing. And I've I've said it from the beginning that I didn't I didn't necessarily like the one bike rule. And I'm not talking about from the cost standpoint or something like that, but I, I think having a two bike rule is a safer option. Right. I don't think when 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 Gagne crashes his bike and his perfectly able professional crew has to throw something together really quick, I don't worry about it not being put together correctly. But, you know, when you've got some kid down at the other end of the paddock and his dad's putting it together with his brother, they may not they may not be that competent when they have time. I worry that when there's a rush job that something gets emit, something gets missed and it turns into a safety issue. That's why I've always thought the two bikes was a good idea. But yeah, I could say um, with like Gagne's bike in Coda, like how he rode it around that warm up lap and he came in, he's like, this thing's not right at all. Like. Right. It would have been nice, especially when people are spending a, they're spending a lot of money to go racing. And the fact that they couldn't just jump on another bike and they missed the race, that's 
you know, that's a big disappointment for the whole team. And also, you know, it's a disappointment for the fans who paid money to watch Jake Gagne race. They didn't come there to watch Jake Gagne sit on the sidelines. Right, exactly, exactly. So, Max, explain, if you would, this. so this other rule that's kind of going to come into play, I guess, and it sort of came out around the time or, or was talked about when um, the attack team the, uh, how do we put it, fresh and lean, progressive Yamaha racing team is going over to race in Portimao this weekend. And they, they are going to adapt that uh, transmission uh, rule or allowance that they have over there. And I think it has to do with a ratio that you can choose, but also something to do with a lockout for uh, neutral and having neutral at the bottom of the gear. Do you understand the rule? And if you do, can you under explain that to us and tell us if that's something you're gonna use next year? I sure hope so. I mean, I love that rule. Um, it's, uh, I mean, you've seen it a lot this year. I mean, I crashed in Brainerd because of a false neutral. Uh, Cam Peterson went flying off the track at the Ridge because of a false neutral. People are constantly going off of track because of false neutrals. And the new transmission kind of just eliminates that. So the neutrals at the bottom, as soon as you click first gear, you lock out neutral and then there's no possible chance for you to get back into neutral until you unlock it. So it just pretty much eliminates all false neutrals. You won't see people going into corners, not being able to stop. It's good for a safety reason, a hundred percent. Cause I mean, I've crashed multiple times because of it. Um, and then, uh, other than that though, I mean, they have this new ratio thing that's going around, which you can change the ratios and stuff. But I think they're having it. So you pick a ratio at the start of the year. That's and right. that's it. Like that's, that's, the right. only that's ratio how World Superbike does it. Right. So if that's the case, I don't see it really being like a, like, I mean, it might suck for some people being like, oh, dude, we chose the wrong ratio. But being saying that we go to what, 10 different tracks, the ratio is going to change. I mean, like, Obviously, the ratio might be really, really good for, you know, Road America and then terrible for Barber. So I think I think it's a really good idea. I, I, I hope I can get my hands on the system to get it in my bike because I hate false neutrals with a passion. Um, and uh, but other than that, I think I think that it would just be a good safety thing. Yeah, no, no. Tell me. Tell us, Max, and tell the fans. I guess I don't really completely understand what a false neutral is because when I've been on a street bike on a, a clunky transmission or something, I've had situations where I've been in a higher gear and all of a sudden I get caught between gears or something. And then you're in trouble. You pull the clutch in and then, you, you know, it grinds or whatever. When you hit a false neutral, does that mean you literally go down into that neutral part of the transmission? Yeah, yeah exactly. So it normally happens between second and first. The Yamaha, the first couple years had an awful time with it like if you tried to go from second to first it would just go into neutral every time to the point that the Westby team me I don't know if attack Yamaha did um but like me and Westby we like um we tuned our bikes so we would just stay from second to six we would never touch first so what happens pretty much is you'll be coming down the gearbox and you'll click it and either you don't click it crisp enough, hard enough, whatever. Um, but it just pops into neutral and we're on the ragged edge all the time. We're braking as hard as we can to get into corners. And we use a lot of engine braking too. So if we're going into a corner and we're using full engine brake, full front brake, and we're just making it every time, if you go into that same corner, go full brake and then take the engine brake away, 
you enter the corner nearly 20 mile an hour faster. Like it's ridiculous. You get so much speed going into there. Cause you're just like your rear wheel is just full, like freewheeling into the corner and there's no excess like engine braking to help slow you down. So, so this is an epiphany for me. I literally thought that you can get caught in between a, a higher gear. Have you, you, that doesn't happen. You've never gotten caught like between fourth and fifth or something. Um, I, I, it's happened to me a couple of times, but it's not as often. Normally if I do it in like that scenario, if I'm like switching between like fourth and fifth, it will normally, if I try to go from fourth to fifth and I don't quite do it correctly, it'll pop back down into fourth, okay. but it never really hits the neutral area from like that high up. It's happened before, I think, but normally when it happens, I just, kind of focus on what I'm doing I don't even remember what gear I'm in so yeah I mean that really helps me to understand because when I've even when I've heard uh, this year and you've mentioned it I mean you mentioned uh, the situation with Cam Peterson that I absolutely remember false neutral I was thinking okay false neutral must mean it truly must not be a neutral but it, it technically is a neutral it's just you didn't want it to be a neutral at that exactly point. when exactly. you think about it I mean neutral's stupid anyway I mean it's like <laughs> right I mean it's okay really when even on a street bike you use neutral if you're at the stoplight and you don't want to hold the clutch in or you want to you know i, I don't know do whatever change the station on your radio or something but i mean <laughs> other than that i mean it shouldn't exist anyway yeah, yeah i mean uh i mean i was like i said at brainerd i was gonna have my highest finish of the year um i was in eighth place comfortably um andrew lee brandon posh um and I think Travis Wyman were battling behind me and I was trying to chase down the next guy and I was comfortable and I would have, like I said, it would have been my best finish. My dad was super happy coming into the turn, the tight left hander in front of like the hot pit lane, um, false neutral straight off track and crash. And I was like, really, I was really bummed. I mean, I was still happy with the weekend with how it come out, but there's honestly, unless there's a lot of runoff, you can't really do anything about it and at Brainerd as you guys know like there isn't much runoff so you you have to like lock the rear up and just lay the bike down and if it's okay you can get back up and keep going but half the time you know the handlebar will break or foot right. peg will fall off or something like that so this this switch that that Jake Gagne demonstrated in a video that we ran on our social media you are you going to put that exact apparatus on your r1 next year i hope so but it also depends on the price i don't think they're going to be too expensive so if it isn't i'm 100 getting it but it also depends if we have to tune it or anything it's we have to check it out and read on it a little bit more i know you know the attack yamaha team are still kind of like in the process of like working on it and making it right for their bike i think they've got it nearly nailed but um yeah, we're going to have to talk to uh, Richard and see if it's applicable to our bike or if it's um, what's going on with it. But yeah, if I can get it, it's going to be on my bike for sure. Yeah, well, all you have to do is factor the cost into crash damage and see how many crashes you'd have to have before it paid for itself. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I think Not I to mention what crashes. the body goes through. Yeah, dude, I think I had three crashes last year from, uh, not last year, this year from uh false neutrals so yeah i think i think it'll be definitely a, a benefit so it, max is it too early to kind of announce this i mean is the people's rider going to be back next year are you going to be racing in our series 
I sure hope so. I mean, I, I've been telling everyone I've, I have to figure out my health insurance. <laughs> I, I turned 26 in November, and luckily my dad kept me on his health insurance this long, but I'm getting kicked off uh, November 9th, and uh, I got to figure that out because without health insurance, if I mess myself up, go to the hospital, I'm going to be in debt for the rest of my life. <laughs> so um, if I can get that figured out, there'll definitely be a yellow bike out there. But then also, I mean, I've been talking, some other teams have been uh, talking with me and everything. So I don't know. I have no idea what's going to happen next year, but um, I, I hope I'm out there for sure. Does it make sense from a cost standpoint to do to do one of those rides where basically that somebody, whether it's a David Anthony or somebody along those lines, I don't know how cost effective it is to do in a program like that, where they basically haul all your stuff and you use their, their, their shop or their, um, their truck and everything. Once you're at the event, does that, does that work out to be a better deal than what you do by going it alone? Um, it, it honestly depends. Like for some people, if you don't have the truck and if it's just the rider and the motorcycle, I think it's definitely the way to go. Like David Anthony's, I me and him have talked quite a bit about doing something like that but um we always kind of average it out i mean with me driving this and sleeping in the truck and just paying for gas what he was uh asking to, uh, for us to come in with it averaged out a bit and then um tim also wanted to keep the yellow so <laughs> right. uh, uh with the superbike rule if you're under the same tent you have to have the same livery like when wow. sam Rico did it um, okay. so we would have to go with the fly racing, which, I mean, the bike looks great, but, um, with it being about the same cost as what we're doing now and the fact that we get to keep the yellow, that, that, that was always kind of our decision to go that way. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, I do know for a fact, just from talking to Dave this year that, um, I think it's the case. He said he wasn't going to have fly racing next year. So, um, I don't know how that affects his livery, but I've actually every year, Max, kind of felt a little bad for you because I know you've always pined for being on a team to see how that would be to, you know, go, you know, share data and get more of an understanding on identical or similar bikes. So I've always wanted this to happen at some point. And like Paul said, I mean, even M4 has some things. I know Liam Grant had a deal where he raced with them this year, or there are, there are several teams where, where people do that. Um, I mean, you think about even disrupt racing, you know, they've got Hayden Gillum, but, uh, you know, they may want to have another rider. It seems like there's some riders out there or teams out there that might want to have another rider. So maybe there's an opportunity, but I hear where you're at with yellow and you have such an iconic, um, sort of signature and brand there. I mean, you know, I know that you know this, but you're, you're one of our most popular riders on our social media and everything else. I mean, every time we put something out with you, it, it goes crazy. So <laughs> you, know you got you know, much love in there, but sometimes that much love doesn't really pay the bills all the time. So yeah, that's how me and my dad talk a lot. It's like, dad, dad's always like, it's good being the friendliest team in the paddock, but like, we need some more results because that's that's what's going to pay the bills, get me on a better team and do that kind of stuff. So I'm glad that I've kind of built this fan base that hopefully will stick with me no matter where I go. Hopefully they don't just all love yellow. And if I switch to a different color, they'll hate me. But um, yeah, I don't know. I've been I've been talking to some teams and stuff. It's just the only thing is, it's like, you know, I'm the truck driver. I do everything for this team pretty much um 
my dad does the mechanicing. So if I switch teams, thrash bike racing, I don't know if they'd even be out there next year, which would be a disappointment. But then also a lot of the teams, they're not just asking for riders. They're asking for riders and then to pay some as well. Yes. Where I'm riding with this team. I'm not paying to ride, but I pay my dues with the driving and like setting up and tearing down. Like I'm pretty much part of the crew. Um, and Tim pays the, the, the hard bills. Uh, so I don't know, man. I don't know if I'd have the money to pull out of my own pocket to go race on another team because I don't expect Tim to pay me to go ride for another team. Like I just don't see that happening. So I don't know. I'm going to talk to a lot of people, see what I can figure it out. But like I said, dude, racing, racing is my passion. I love it so much. So we'll see. We'll, I, I'm hoping to be out there next year for sure. Well, we can't not have old Yeller. No, exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, you know, Max, I mean, there are some riders from time to time. This may be against your philosophy. I know several riders don't want to do it this way. But, you know, there's crowdfunding type stuff, too. Have you? Is that just something you don't feel is fair to to uh, foist upon your fans or yeah, i mean there's a there's i have quite a few fans that uh, we've been doing donations through t-shirts at the last couple rounds where like you know if you donate 20 bucks to the team you get a t-shirt and do, do like that kind of stuff um but like a lot of people say you know the go fund me and stuff i i've just never you know i'm living my dream i don't have any issues in my life i'm just racing a motorcycle and having a great time and like the GoFundMe thing, I'd rather if someone, if I was doing a GoFundMe, I'd want to do it for someone who actually like is in need, you know, like if someone can't pay their hospital bills, I'd do a GoFundMe for them because, you know, they need that money to get them through where if people gave their money to me, you know, besides a sponsor, like if a sponsor wanted to, you know, sponsor the team, that's completely fine. But like just my fans who are normal people, like just giving me 20 bucks out their pocket to help me keep racing. I just never really saw that as a good way to go, if that that's, makes sense. That's the best thing I've heard all week, Max. <laughs> no, seriously. I honestly get, I honestly get mad when people do that. Like, you know, it, Hey, I want a new bicycle. Right. But if I don't have the money to get a bicycle, I'm going to have to save up and buy a bicycle. I, I can't go, I'm not going to do a GoFundMe to buy me a new bicycle when there's a kid that's dying of cancer that needs the money. Right. Know? Exactly. And, like, if you're going to donate to GoFundMe, I, I want you to help somebody that actually needs help. Like, right. I don't I, need a new bicycle. Right. Yeah. I want one, but right. there's no need. Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we're good with that then. That's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. And, I, and I knew that's where your heart was on this stuff too, Max. And that's an honorable thing. Hey, I want to I want to change subjects for a minute because one of the things that we love about you is you make a point to encourage riders in, in the other classes in our series. I mean, I always see out on the grid and almost every class out there at the starting grid, you know, talking to different riders or giving them a handshake or whatever, uh, high five. So I know you pay attention to this series. I want this is a pretty broad question, but out of this entire championship, all of our, our series, all of our classes this year, what one class rider or championship either delighted you or surprised you the most this year? Uh, besides, let's say besides Superbike. And I guess if you want to say Superbike, you can. But I mean, is there is there one? I mean, and I'll throw some stuff out there. It was amazing that we had two classes that were tied on points. Stock 1000. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, and, and it was they were tiebreakers. Um, yeah, I mean, the stock 1000, the fight between Corey and Gillum, that was 
pretty intense. But I mean, I, I've always loved the junior cup, like the kids fighting and doing their thing. Kayla has been absolutely outstanding this year. She's really shown what she can do and she blew me away really. I mean, she got taken out quite a bit, which is unfortunate, but she was riding outstanding. I mean, and then you got Cody Wyman in the same class, who's also riding really, really well, like almost riding like he needs to ride next year. And I think he's probably like got himself one with the way he rode. But that's been a really fun class to watch this year. I mean, you got Max Van battling in there. You got Kayla, you got Cody, you got all these guys just wanting to win. And like you can tell that they're they're the fight like the, they have the most fight in them. They want this more than anything because they're just trying to show what they can do to get onto that next team. I mean, I'm still looking at getting teams as well, but like everyone's looking at the younger generation coming up and that's been a really, really fun, uh, like race to watch. It's been really, really good. You know, you know, Max, you're, you're such a student of the, the sport and of Moto America. And I know, heck, we know that you were named after Max Biaggi. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we know it's born into you from um, your father and, and mom on up this is down the road. I, we probably asked you this before too, but you know, in this conversation, it always makes me think you could absolutely slide into a situation like Roger Hayden or, or be involved in, in our side of the equation in uh, promoting the series or doing some broadcast stuff, commentary or stuff like Josh Hayes does. Do you see yourself doing that in the future? Do you see yourself managing a team? Is there, is there something, I mean, will you continue to have an involvement in road racing and or Moto America? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I always want to be around racing and I love to do, you know, the, talk to the riders and talk about the riders. So, I mean, I know every single one of them just because every time they're going out on the grid, I go say, hey, even new people. It's funny, though, because like sometimes I walk up to people and I'm like, oh, hey, good luck in the race. And like you, too. And I'm like, I'm not really in this race, but I'll let it slide this time. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, nah, I mean, it would be really, really cool. I mean, Roger's doing a great job and knowing everything that he knows he's he's he, he's been like very factual he's been telling i mean he's an absolute whiz with like track records it's crazy how he knows all of them but no i would love to i mean i i love everyone who works with Motor america you guys are awesome so like to try and stay in it and do something like that would be amazing but then there's also the other side where I don't know if I'd cry if I was at a racetrack and not racing. <laughs> like, oh, that, yeah. that, that just sounds really difficult to me. I know Roger Hayden's in that state where, you know, he's having fun with the family, you know, he's uh, all the kids and everything. And he's just in a good place where I still think I could win a championship. <laughs> so I don't know. It, it would be really cool to get in um, with Motor America and do something, but uh, I have to start being nicer to some of the Mid America people, I guess. <laughs> We're always looking for a third host of uh, our podcast. So. There you go. Hey, yeah, I'm down. Brothers Bison Flinders. Oh my God, it just it just comes right off the tongue perfectly. There, <laughs> Carruthers, and, Carruthers or Vice could die at any time too. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and for Roger Hayden, who I know listens to our podcast, we weren't trying to take your job away, Roger, nor were we trying to do anything with Josh either. But just saying, you know, I mean, this series is growing, and I know that they always like to have some people come up there in the booth and and uh, help out from time to time. And Max, I know you're good at 
an analyst of racing. And as you said, you know, every rider out there, which is a tremendous and terrific that you do that. I mean, it's really good. Even if they don't know what, what class yeah. you're in. And I love the fact that you get to know them. So it's Max um, and Richard Varner out there on the grid. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, man, we went, I, I, I didn't even get to half the stuff we were going to talk to you about, we were going to kind of do a review of the season, which is why I threw that thing in about, was there any particular class, but you know, we've run out of time, Max. I mean, you're just a, a great person to have a conversation with and th thank you for being on with us and, and for explaining that uh, false neutral thing to me. Like I said, it, it <laughs> my eyes, I finally understand that. And, and about the two riot, two bike rule that, that apparently is coming out. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll stay in touch with you during this off season. We're probably going to hit you up and ask you to, I don't know, let us know what's in your Christmas stocking or whatever. <laughs> we'll, make him do, we'll make them do some silly video. Right. Oh yeah. You know, I'm always down to put a Santa suit on and do something. So. That's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks for joining us. And Paul, it, it was another good one for us. Uh, we'll keep it going. We'll have another one next week with another guest, but uh, thanks again, Max, and uh, have a great day. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Y'all are awesome. I'll catch y'all later. <laughs> All right. Thank you.